it's that time we're going to get started. We are going, as I mentioned, to a Christmas passage this morning, taking a break from the book of Acts and picking back up in January. Uh, Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, now as we look into that beautiful story, that first Christmas time, when miracle of miracle, God becomes a human being. Come into this world to save us from our sins, God, to rescue us. Help us, Lord. We have heard this story many times, and every time we hear it, there's joy. Show us something fresh and new, something of your great love that comforts our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, everybody, I suspect, knows what it's like to get some shocking news that devastates you, sends your head reeling and rocks your world. Not a whole lot of fun. Well, somebody in this morning's passage here in Matthew chapter 1 is going to get shaken to the core with some mind-boggling news, and our hearts go out to him. We understand his disbelief. I mean, we've heard this story for 2,000 years, and we still can't wrap our minds around it. So yeah, it's officially December. It's the Advent season. The word Advent comes from the Latin, which means arrival. And when you mention Advent in church, we're speaking of the arrival of God himself in human form. That would be the first Advent. Of course, Christians are waiting for the second Advent as well. But that first time round, the maker of heaven and earth clothed himself with flesh and blood and became one of us. As Colossians chapter 2 at verse 9 puts it, the fullness of deity in bodily form. That means he was the fullness of God in a human body. That is amazing. And so the Jewish people were given a heads up about the nature of the Messiah who would come to save the world. Uh, But it doesn't seem like anybody really were, were They weren't connecting the dots, putting all the pieces together. Not even the prophets, really. Uh, They had some pretty good clues, uh, particularly one in Isaiah uh, chapter 9 that we read earlier in the service. Unto us, listen, unto us a child is born, unto us a human baby, unto us a son is given. Okay, speaking of the Son of God. And in the same breath, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so there you have it, fully God and fully human being. Well, how does that work? How can you be both God and a human being? What would that look like? How did that happen? Well, Matthew is glad that you are asking these kinds of questions this morning because he's got some answers, and he starts at verse 18. This is how it happened. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Christ is the Greek uh, transliteration of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the chosen way to be saved. This is how it came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, 
but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, that's a really good way to put it. He was just. He was a righteous man. He loved and feared the Lord in a good sense of that word. And so because he was that way, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, he's about to do it. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, he's in the line, right? Because he's going to be qualified as the stepfather, legally adopting Jesus. He's in the line of the kings there. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's his name. This is what he's going to do. Now all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's really the whole gospel and the dual nature of Messiah, God and man, all wrapped up in one. 700 years before Bethlehem. Verse 24, when Joseph wakes up, he does whatever the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And so now we're going to get situated here. It doesn't matter to me nor to you, I'm sure, that uh, we've heard this story over and over again uh, because familiarity never breeds contempt when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and tell me a million times how this wretched soul escaped hell and the torments forever. Go ahead and tell me how somebody like me uh, could wind up with the favor of God and honored in his sight that God would love me so much to send his only son in the world and if it was just me, he would lay down his life for me to secure me a place in heaven. And it says, at, in God's presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. Yeah, go ahead, tell me that a million times. I'm going to smile every single time, and I'm sure God is going to show us something new and amazing. Wonderful news as it was, it was a bit disconcerting and upsetting. First time round, that first Christmas time, Joseph absolutely devastated. Uh, Mary was, quote, greatly troubled. We're going to read about that as well. And we understand why, of course. But soon, uh, their anxiety will give way to tidings of comfort and joy. The world has a savior. The rescue has begun. Jesus has come to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray, as we sing. So our very familiar passage divides quite nicely. We've got three talking points if you're taking notes. First of all, the shock. Verses 18 and 19. The epiphany, the aha moment, 
comes in the form of a dream, doesn't it? Verses 20 and 21. And then the prophecy explained. Verses 22 to 25. So let's get to it on the screen. Verses 18 and 19. There, the shocking news for both of them, really, and everyone who will hear the news, and there's no news since then or ever shall be that can rival this news for its shock value. My word, uh, like a jolt of lightning, Joseph gets the news. His fiance, who he knows, he knows she's devout in her faith and loyal in her love for him. Now claiming to be pregnant with the Messiah. For all intents and purposes, Joseph's life is over. Or so he thinks. Right, so the context is given right in the beginning. Up front, the couple were engaged when that happened. And so, yes, as most of you know, first century Jewish customs, uh, when somebody was engaged, they would announce that and it would last a year. They lived separately, of course. And, uh, but they're considered married. You see, in the sense to break the vows when you're engaged would be to commit adultery as Deuteronomy 22 says. Uh, now, if it was uh, when adultery happened, it was a pretty serious thing. If it was consensual, both the man and the woman could be put to death. In the days of first century Israel, uh, it, it was rare, but it still happened that the consequences went to the death penalty and not just the certificate of divorce. And so it was a pretty serious thing. And so, yeah, they're engaged. Maybe uh, it was an arranged marriage, as was so commonplace. Uh, but FYI to modern Westerners, when there are arranged marriages, uh, usually the, the couple is involved. The couple has a say. And yes, it's arranged with the, the people involved in the arrangement. And so it's not as primeval as it sounds. Sometimes they didn't just smack a couple people together and say, congratulations, you're going to get married. I'm sure maybe sometimes families did that. But uh, by and large, they said, hey, I'm attracted to so-and-so. I'm falling in love with so-and-so. How does this work? And they arranged it. So one day Joseph went, and I love talking these things out because it's in the details, in between the verses, that the mystery and the intrigue is, you know? So Joseph's all excited, you know? He goes one day to ask Mary's dad for her hand in marriage. And maybe dad is interested in his career plans, Joseph's all excited about his apprenticeship as a carpenter. He's a hardworking guy. He's responsible. He's hoping to have his own shop one day, probably. And we imagine that any girl's father would be delighted to receive as a future prospective son-in-law a man who's described in the scriptures the way Joseph is described, that he fears God. He loves God's commands. He's upright. He's a straight arrow kind of guy. And he's looking forward to building a life with a girl that he loves. And Mary, she's quite the catch as well. I mean, she's godly. She's full of faith. She loves the Lord. She loves Joseph. And, you know, uh, she knows the scriptures. Wow, what a depth 
of spiritual maturity in that 15-year-old. Oh, my word. Luke chapter 1, she bursts forth into a song that's recorded there. My word, she knows the scriptures. And she expresses a depth of maturity and a, a familiarity with God and how he works. It just it's amazing. And so, yeah, the happy couple upright there. They're living in uh, the backwoods of Nazareth, Sleepy Hollow there. It, it wasn't a real popular place. You know, it has a bad rap. You know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You remember that? But they're happy. They're happy in their little sleepy hollow there. They each have a set of friends. They have family members. They have large families usually. They all attend synagogue together, and they're not backsliding. They're there loving God, lifting their hands and worshiping God. They have a happy, quiet, ordinary life with a bright future until verse 26. God sends this angel, Gabriel, to Sleepy Hollow, <laughs> a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, if we're reading in Luke chapter 1. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Continuing. Mary was greatly troubled yeah, at his words and wondered what kind of thing's happening to me. Uh, but the angel said to her, hey, don't be afraid, Mary. You found great favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, King David. He's related to King David as a man. And he will reign over Israel and the world, for that matter. His kingdom, this child of yours, his kingdom will never end. We finish up with this. How, how, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. P.S. Mary, FYI, <laughs> for nothing is impossible with God. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah, one day something happens, right? That changes the course of their lives. Joseph's life is never going to be the same. Mary's life is never going to be the same. Nor the lives of anybody in the entire world. Never the same. So this, and I like to read through it to show you the supernatural encounter that Mary is left having to explain to now Joseph who is clueless there in Nazareth. So I always wonder... <laughs> How did these things get unpacked and unfold? You know, and it's, it's just fun to talk about. I wonder, you know, how, how, she's, how she dealt with that. You know, first of all, it, it comes upon her, the angels there, with no warning. There's no like two minute warning. You're about to have a celestial being stop by for a little chat. You know, there's none of that. He just appears. I don't know. I imagine her 
probably washing the dishes in a wash bucket out back. She's alone. The angel knows that. Or she's working in the garden. Or she's having her quiet time in her room thinking nobody's in the house. Little does she know. She gets that feeling. Have you ever had that feeling? You think you're alone and then you feel like somebody's standing there because someone is. And you look up into the face of what? An angel, which the word means messenger from heaven, Gabriel himself. No doubt he's smiling. I'm sure that that is not really helpful to calm her down. Uh, but maybe his pleasant words, Mary, it's all good. It's all good. No worries. Don't be afraid. You found favor with the Lord. And then just the bomb drops, just with boom. You're going to be pregnant. You're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You're going to give birth to the Son of God who's going to reign and rule forever. That's a lot to take in, I think. You know, and I'm sure, you know, when you get when you're in those kinds of situations, the Holy Spirit is so gracious to uphold you, to help you, to understand. You know, I'm sure. Now, come on. It, uh, some in the Bible, the military men at the tomb see an angel and they fall down to the ground and quake as dead men, you see. So the Holy Spirit is upholding her and she's able to receive. She's dumbfounded and she, she wants clarification. It's not in unbelief. Uh, she just wants to know how is it possible? I've kept myself for my husband. The Holy Spirit says uh, God, he says that God, the Holy Spirit, will overshadow her. And just so you know, Mary, nothing's impossible for God. You see, and with that, poof, he's gone. Now, these are the moments that I just, my brain is just like, okay, so Mary's thinking, now what? <laughs> now what? Okay, I, I just wonder. I mean, she has to have dinner that night with her family. And the question is, oh, how was your day, dear? <laughs> it was amazing, Mom. <laughs> you know, I just like, I'm, wow, I, I don't have any words uh, for it. Did she tell her mom first? Uh, of course, I think. Of course. Did she tell her sister first? She tells somebody, right? Does she wait until she knows in her own body? Wow, it's true. Or, you know, a picture maybe. Her mom or older sister walks in with a basket of eggs from the backyard and sees Mary standing there like a deer in the headlights. You know, are you okay? You look like you're a million miles away. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. So how does she break the news to Joseph? Does she kind of build up to it, talk around a little bit, you know? Or, or does she just blurt it out? Once they're alone, she just kind of collapse in a puddle of tears and just blurts it all out. We aren't privy to the details, are we? Sadly. But we do know one thing for sure. It didn't go well. Didn't go well. He's not buying it. Sorry. Mary. Now, I imagine she protested, right? These are normal people. We put them up there and we pretend like they're like, you know, they're normal people. I can hear her crying. Do you know me to be immoral? <laughs> no. 
Am I that kind of person? <laughs> no. Have I ever lied to you before? Am I a liar? Am I always lying about stuff? No, never. Is there anything about me, Joseph, that would cause you to doubt my love for you or my solid devotion to God? No, no, no. Then why don't you believe me? Well, probably because out of all the girls in the world, why would God come to Sleepy Holler and to a 15-year-old in Nazareth and, and worse yet, choose me to raise the Son of God who will reign and rule forever. I think that was more of a problem, thinking that God just would not entrust his only son to be raised by a guy like me. Yeah, no, Mary, come on. Just tell me through his tears, through his devastation. Come on, Mary, just tell me, who was it? Who was it? I wonder how long they went back and forth, you know. He just can't imagine, you know. He can't imagine it's her. He can't imagine it's him to be honored that way. But listen up, Joseph. God looks at the heart, not your bank account, not the city you live in, not how impressive everybody thinks you are. He looks at your heart. And Joseph, he likes what he sees in there. He's already told us all. You're a man who reveres his law, and he likes that about you, and he trusts you enough to let you raise his son. Well, amazing, amazing, amazing. And think about it. He trusts you enough to put his spirit in you that you would represent him. He does trust those he indwells with a great trust. So he, he, he makes this decision. In the Greek, it says he had in mind. It really uh, denotes thinking long and hard about something and then making your mind up. So he's going to end the, the, the marriage. And, and I love this. Because he's just, because he's righteous, because he's a commandment kind of guy, because he loves the commands, he finds the least harmful way to do it. Now that's amazing. One writer said this, many who are focused on keeping commands are not often like our dear Joseph. Law abiders often are forgetful of grace and neglectful of the highest law of all, the law of love. So what is this righteous law loving man thinking? He's thinking mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, that's a verse from James, who will come later. James chapter 2, I believe, says that very thing in verse 13. Now, I started thinking about that. I wonder how he got that idea, James, to write out, mercy triumphs over judgment. I wonder what inspired that thought and maybe how he saw that thought lived out. Well, maybe he saw it lived out in his father, Joseph, because James, of the book of James, father is our Joseph. And Joseph is the father of Jude. He is the biological father of Jude, of the New Testament, and he is the biological father of James. And now James is thinking, 
yeah, I know all about mercy triumphing over judgment because I lived with the law-abiding man, the compassionate law-abider, my father, Joseph. That's amazing to me. (laughs) Psalm 37 and verse 21, the righteous man shows mercy. So Joseph is about to make a big mistake. So time for an epiphany. And verses 20 through 21, there uh, he's making the plan work and uh, God has to intervene. The epiphany. God comes through for the win. We imagine uh, Mary is praying up a storm, isn't she? Can you imagine? Uh, Lord, he doesn't believe me. He thinks I've betrayed him. He's devastated. Our lives are ruined. He's going to divorce me. I need you to come and save the day. And uh, yeah, Joseph's got a plan. He, he starts to take action, and that's when God uh, sends the messenger, the angel. And we wonder, who did Joseph tell? Okay, you listen, did Joseph counsel with his own parents first? Of course. Of course. It's an arranged marriage. <laughs> he went to his father. He had to tell, listen, she's pregnant, and it's not me. And then the mom. And then, of course, he went to her father and mother. Of course. Why? He's a law abider. He loves the commandments. Like commandment number five, honor your mother and father. So what kind of dishonor would it be to find out secondhand that Joseph went to the elders at the gate of Nazareth and filed for divorce, claiming infidelity and adultery? Oh, no, no, no. He went to a lot of people, and nobody told him not to. Nobody said, well, what if she's telling the truth? And so, spoiler alert, it didn't go through. (laughs) So now, instead of two people shedding tears and crying themselves to sleep at night in Nazareth, now there's six people. And, you know, and I say six people and counting Because soon, a small town like that, everybody's going to know. Because you know how it goes, right? I mean, he has the best man. Did he tell the best man? And and what you do is you go to the best man and say, listen, I haven't really told anybody else. You're the only one. You know, you always go to one person, and then you tell them the same thing. You tell them, look, you're the only one that knows this, but, you know, don't tell anybody else. And then they they basically agree, and then they go to one. And they say, hey, listen, you're the only one that knows. And by the time you're done with the story, uh, the whole town knows, right? And, and what, just how terrible for the whole town to think and everybody, your parents, your own parents, his parents, and all, everybody to think, oh, yeah, Mary's not the girl everybody thinks she is. Miss, always in the scrolls. Always in the scrolls. Yeah. They love that. So here comes the dream. 104. 104. He gets four dreams. Now, why does Mary get a live presentation? And he's, he gets the dreams. Well, they're harder. Because you can wake up and say, it was a dream. That'd be, God, it would take more faith. 
right? Well, God knows how to get through to all his children and he knows where they're all at and who he wants to grow in faith and, and they have different roles in the story. And so God just knows this. He knows how to get through to us, especially when it's important. And he gets through to him uh, for sure. And finally, she's vindicated, at least by one. Nobody else is going to buy it. All the way to the end, they will use the rumor and this terrible um, slander that she's lived with her whole life. In John chapter 8, the bad guys come and say, listen up. God is our father. We weren't born in sexual fornication like you. Ah, a little jab at mom there, you see. So I started thinking, man, when Christ came into Mary's life, quite literally in that case, all their troubles began. And then I started thinking, well, mm, when Christ comes into any heart, some troubles come. Sure, eternal life and joy unspeakable and full of glory. We get that. But one writer said it this way, every believer can relate to Mary's newfound predicament when the Holy Spirit overshadows us who have found favor with the Lord and grace. When Christ is conceived within, along with the amazing joy comes dramatic change, some of which is quite unpleasant at times. Uh, there's a disruption in our plans, strain in our relationships. When Christ is conceived within, he lays the cross gently on Mary's shoulders and on Joseph's shoulders and then on everyone else's shoulder who conceives Christ and says, come, follow me, and I will give you life. Some unpleasantries for sure, you know, the disdain in all of this will culminate one day when a sword will pierce her heart in keeping with Simeon's prophecy of Mary's pain to see her son crucified. So, yeah, I, I do like to remind ourselves that soon all the sorrows will be swallowed up in eternal joy. And that day is closing in on us. And it's nice. So she's vindicated. He says, I, I know the angel told me you're telling the truth. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, and, and that vindication, let me tell you, is a legacy. And God makes a big deal about it, especially in the Old Testament. He likes to keep saying, listen, on that day before all of the angels and before all of the world, I will shout your vindication and every lie and slander that has ever rested on the head of one of God's dearly loved children, it will be <laughs> all revealed for what it is and the truth will come out and be known. That's a beautiful day because God's children are constantly accused, constantly maligned, constantly insulted, constantly uh, slandered, constantly. We get it. And one day, God says, it will be my delight to stand you up and say in front of the world about this problem. Never happened. Love it. Can't wait. I've got a few items I'm thinking of that might uh, get talked about on that day. Press the microphone. Okay. <coughs> <coughs> 
<coughs> excuse me, I had a frog in my throat. Uh, so he gets up and he tells us, we can mark the timer on there to clip that little comment. No. All right. So I love this. He will save, he, he tells him, name him this because he's, his name means salvation. So name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Yeah. One of the most important verses in the Bible that just kind of reveals right there at the start who he is and what he came to do. And the world is so willingly, willingly ignorant of this. And the experts who don't believe in God, they're the ones who come on PBS and have to tell us all about the God they don't believe in. Right? They're so-called experts. And so they tell us what the purpose Jesus came for. The purpose he came to, to bring us all together. Just the opposite, Jesus said. I didn't come to bring you all together. I came to cause a lot of division. Because because of me, there are going to be two people in a family for me and three people against me. And it's just going to be a man's own enemies are going to be at his Thanksgiving table. So, so you got that one wrong. You know, oh, oh, he came for social justice and equity and as a moral example and all of that. Why don't we just let the scriptures tell us what he came to do. And he came to do something that they don't want to hear. To save them from their what? Their sins. What? Are you saying I'm a sinner who needs to be saved because I'm hopeless and helpless and estranged from God because I'm not good? Yes. And that is why we're going to opt for all the other reasons why Jesus came here. And so, yeah. So listen up, world. This is what the angel says. Jesus isn't going to be killed for his good work. It was his good work to be killed. He did it on purpose. He was in charge. He was slain before the foundation of the world, Revelation 13 says that John looks and sees Jesus slain, but it, it had taken place before there was an earth. So God has had eternity past to think about in his great, big, loving heart. Our fall from grace and the way, and the one and only way, he'd be able to make a way back for us in love. And yeah, it was on purpose. <laughs> you know, in the garden, remember, he, he, he comes to save his people from their sins. In the garden, he's getting ready to do it. Do what he was born to do, right? And, and Peter says, I'll save the day. And he takes out a sword. He starts slinging it around. And Jesus says, put your sword away. He says, man, don't you know, Peter, that I can call the Father and I could have, quote, 12 legion of angels. Do you know how many that is? That's 72,000 angels right here, right now. I don't need your sword, Peter. But how then would the plan be fulfilled? How would the scriptures come to pass? Put your sword away because, and then he laughs at them. He says, you come at me with clubs and swords and chains like a criminal, <laughs> like you have to drag me to do it. Excuse me. Nobody takes the life of the Son of God. I came to willingly lay it down in love for those who want to kill me. That's the glory of God right there. Now, here in Hebrews chapter 2, there's, I call it the most overlooked paragraph in the Bible because it explains exactly why God had to become one of us right here. 
Since God's children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free us from that slavery of being afraid of dying. For this reason, he had to be made like them, us, God, fully human in every way in order that he might make atonement payment for our sins. So if you have a debt and it's in dollars, you've got to come up with the dollars. If the debt is in gold, you've got to come up with the gold, pay back the gold, right? If your debt is, you owe a human life, then a human life, a perfect human life, not a depleted, morally <laughs> defiled human life, that wouldn't count for anything. We need a human being who's perfect to pay for the human debt of sin. Now, where are you going to find a perfect human being? You're not going to find one. That's why he had to become us, to save us, to represent us. And so what is his first action at the baptism waters as he's introduced to the people of Israel by John the Baptist? He's being baptized. Now, mostly sinners get baptized, right? So what is he doing there? And John's like, I don't I'm not baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And he says, let it go. For now, you'll understand later. And then the voice lets everybody know, this is no sinner. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. From heaven, God speaking, God the Father about God the Son. There's no sin in him. What is he doing there? He's identifying with you and me. He's taking on us. So he's going to die for us, but he's going to die as us. Every sin that we've ever committed. He's identifying with sinners in his baptism. He comes up out of the water carrying our sins and our infirmities, and he takes them to the cross where he lays himself down and say, payment. And God the Father turns his face away forsakes him and in that torturous six hour ordeal that in some ways is timeless he pays in full for us that is why he came he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become right with God it's amazing love let's finish up with the prophecy and then we're done all this took place to fulfill that beautiful scripture in Isaiah 7. The virgin will conceive, and they will call him, not name him, but he will be known as God with us. Imanu means in Hebrew, with us. El is God's name. He's the with us God. That's who he is, and that's what he did. John chapter 1, and the most speechless, you're speechless trying to talk about it, that God could condescend and become one of us. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, okay, we've got this Word, and it's God. And then you scroll down to 14, and it says, and the Word, God, became flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us. Why? 
to save his people from their sins. This is why he came. But the most amazing thing is that in that baby is the God, is God, who is holding the entire universe together. Now, you know, the fact that Jesus was God himself was kind of hid from the disciples because I think for their sakes, how do you talk to somebody, a a human, a man, with brown eyes, probably brown eyes, and you're looking at him and you're talking to him and, and and your mind's thinking, this is the one who spoke and the universe came into being. Right here, standing here, or sitting by the fire. How do you... How do you talk to him and know that he's got x-ray vision of your brain and he knows everything you've ever thought or what you're thinking at the moment? I mean, my wife knows all of that, you know. She, <laughs> but, but it's one thing to have the accuracy of God. Oh, my word. And so Jesus was not afraid to make it known. <clears throat> he wasn't afraid. He would say, hey, listen up, everybody. I and the Father, we're one. I and God are one. Okay, so the Jews pick up stones to execute him. John chapter 10. And he says, in a sarcastic way, which I love when he does things like this. He says, okay, I've done a lot of really nice things. I just want you to tell me, for which nice thing are you about to kill me for? So they say, we're not killing you for any of your nice deeds. We're going to kill you because you, listen, a mere man make yourself equal to God. Well, what's he going to say? I mean, that's who he is. He's the with us God. He's the one who was with God in the beginning and was God and wrapped himself in human form. Why? He took the form of a servant, a slave, to come and lay down his life even unto death. That's amazing. You know, at the Last Supper, he says it again. Philip says, Lord... Everything's falling apart. We need a glimpse of God. Just show us. You keep talking about God. Just give us a glimpse of God. And he says, Philip, Philip, how long have I been with you, man? You don't recognize me. Anyone who's seen me, Philip, has seen God. Wow. That's an amazing thing. That's our God. And he comes, why? In love. He comes to be with us. He comes into the train wreck with the shards of glass and the broken metal and the bodies laid all over the place for centuries and centuries and centuries. He comes into it and leads us out. All of us limping and bleeding and injured, but not for long. Because one day the trumpet sounds and the work he started in us will be manifested and completed it would be extricated out of the train wreck because he came down into the train wreck and let himself be mauled, brutalized, so that our God, your God, the God you cry out to, knows every bit of what you're feeling when you're hurt, when you feel rejected and misunderstood or slandered or betrayed. He's been tempted and tried in every way and yet without sin. That's your God. He draws near to you. He loves you. He understands you. Let's pray. Father, now as we celebrate and think about the loving deed that you did 
that makes dwelling with us possible and our dwelling with you possible is wiping away our sins, communion. Father, speak to us, reassure us, quiet our hearts with your love, Lord. Let us rest and know it's okay. It's going to be okay. God's with me. God's here. And he loves me. He's not here to harm me, to help me, to give me a hope in a future. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.